Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good evening. It is the first Wednesday of the month. That means it's a leadership night here at Summit Church, and I'm so glad you guys are here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We've got some new faces here uh, this evening, and I want to welcome all of you that are watching online as well, because we know that there are some of you that have logged in, and we appreciate that. And uh, Michael, are we going to have some um, uh, the ability to field some questions online tonight? Perfect. So if you're watching online and you want to engage, um, type some questions in the comments uh, field. And when we get to Q&A here in just a little bit, we'll get connected to you. But thank you guys for watching online as well. We really do appreciate it. And for those of you that don't know, um, our Leadership Night talks end up on, um, they end up on our uh, Summit Sermon audio feed. So if you um, or on iTunes, or uh, what is it called, Apple Podcasts, that's where you can find us. I sound like an old guy when I say that, uh, but you can find us there. It's just labeled as Leadership Night, and so we, that's where we post those, and you can find us there. If you're interested in listening to this later or sharing it with somebody else, um, let me run through the order for those of you that are newer. Um, basically, we're going to take about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and just talk through a leadership principle together, and, um, and then we do about 35 minutes of Q&A where we just talk back and forth and share, and uh, I might ask a question, you guys might ask a question, then people in the room can interact, and people online as well. So uh, that's basically what this looks like, and I am not an expert by any means. I just want to share what my experience has been like, and hopefully it'll help you in your experience as well uh, to lead whatever area you are in, whatever area you aspire to be in. Um, So let me pray, and then we'll jump right in. Lord, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for bringing us together this evening. I pray your blessing on our time. I pray that it would be fruitful to help us grow. I pray that there would be something we would get out of this evening, every one of us, that would help us apply it to uh, our leadership ability, whether it's in the workplace or in our home or for the kingdom of heaven, whatever it might be, God. I pray that we would apply leadership principles to, uh, to, to become better And I pray that you be glorified through us. Bless our time in Jesus' name, amen. So um, I've had a couple of conversations lately with people who are leading in new ways. Um, And and it made me realize that um, there are a lot of people that are maybe leading a team because they're in a new role. So maybe your role has changed in your company or maybe you're starting a business um, and your role looks different than it did before. Maybe you're leading the same team, but really the team is different because there's been so much turnover in the great resignation that maybe you've heard about in the world we live in. Um, And so maybe you're leading the same team, but the faces look dramatically different. And I will say for the record, um, most of you in the room are are people who attend Summit, but... um, but our church has seen this. There's been a huge turnover in the, uh, who attends our church. And so we've got, in, in a lot of ways, we've got a new church over between now and where we were before COVID, uh, just lots of new faces. And I think that's reflected in businesses as well. Um, retention rates have plummeted in a lot of companies because um, people are just unsettled. They're unhappy. They're 
frustrated with just what's going on in the world. So maybe you've got a new team because of that. Um, maybe, maybe you lead in an area and you've thought, man, we need to fix some orientation things. Like when we have new hires, we struggle with getting them ramped up. Um, and depending on the size of your organization, maybe that's something you struggled with. Um, and, and the reality is maybe, maybe you're like me and you've led the same team for a while and you just need a refresher. Um, one of the things I want to talk to you about tonight is just uh, how do you lead a new team? And maybe you're somebody who you've been leading in the same position, the same place for a long time. Um, and really, as I was writing this, I just realized like these are things that I need to be reminded of. These are things that I need to constantly stay fresh with in my leadership uh, with our team, with uh, people who serve in our church, with our staff. And so I think these are things that are important no matter what level you're leading at, no matter how long you've been leading. But that's what our topic is tonight, how to lead a new team. So bullet points, number one, focus on character. Um, and I did this one intentionally because a lot of times um, in, in most of our industries that are represented in this room Character is not one of the measuring, uh, the metrics at the end of a month. They don't say, Jensen, how was the character developed on your team? They want to know what the sales looked like. They want to know what the bottom line was. Whatever the metrics that you measure, that's what they care about. Um, but one of the things I've realized, and again, I know church is a different industry than what most of you are leading in. Uh, character matters a lot because you can train somebody to be a better salesperson, but you can't really train somebody to have the right heart or the right character. And so for me, I, I want to help people have the right heart and the right character as much as possible. And I want to focus on that. So if I was leading a new team, I would focus on character. Um, some of you know this, some of you may not. For a couple of years, I worked as a corporate recruiter and we were helping start a church in Fort Worth, Texas. And I was working in an industry where I was a headhunter. Maybe you've called headhunter before. That's derogatory to headhunters in South America though. So we call them corporate recruiters. And uh, as a corporate recruiter, I got paid based on who I placed with certain companies. And I had a, a specific industries that I worked with, mostly blue collar. It was warehousing, manufacturing. I worked with oil and gas. Um, but, but man, uh, manufacturing was my sweet spot. And I did really well with like machinists and, and uh, CNC machinists, man, I, would, I could make money on those guys because I could place them, I knew a good group of guys and I could help them find good jobs. Um, and I was new to this company. I was just, I was a youth pastor for years and I got hired because they felt like I was good with people and started doing this job. And I was in an office with a bunch of guys who were largely unbelievers. They weren't guys that went to church or anything like that. And it was kind of the typical stuff. Um, I'm not endorsing this movie, but there's a movie that they asked me to watch when I got there called Glengarry Glen Ross. And if you haven't seen it, don't worry about it. But it was very, it's a movie about a sales environment that's very cutthroat. And that's the way a lot of sales environments are. And, uh, and man, I was just doing my thing. I was applying Christian principles. I was not trying to preach at anybody. Um, and I had this great client that I knew I'm gonna place people with every single month. They need people. And they called and we were talking and, and I was already counting the money that I was gonna make from these people. And they said, hey, we're looking for, and I don't even remember the position. And I just, I stopped and I said, I gotta be honest with you. We don't do well with that position. That's one I struggle with. And, but here's what I can do. Do you know so-and-so over at, and I referred her to a competitor 
And the guys on the sales floor heard that. And you would have thought I sacrificed a cat in, right? Like they were, they were mad. They were like, what did you do? You just lost us income. You just lost revenue. And I said, I felt like that was the right thing to do because I'm not gonna lie to her and say, oh yeah, I got that. And you might go, well, that's confidence to be able to. No, I just felt like I gotta be honest. And, um, and it was so cool when she circled back to me later, she did go to the, our competitor. They did place a person with her, but she came back to us because she said, I know I could trust you. If you were honest with me about not being able to place somebody, I knew you'd be honest with me when you could. And so she said, I appreciate that. And I think um, things like high character and kindness and, um, and, and just being good to people. I think sometimes in certain environments that's look at, looked at as a weakness, but I really do believe in most industries, not just in the church, it's a force multiplier. I, I believe that when you um, make kindness a part of who you are as a culture and as a, as a team, uh, it really does make a difference. And I believe it builds, uh, it, it builds a stronger future when you're not just looking at the here and now, when you're looking at the future. And that's really what focusing on character is. So I, I would encourage you, focus on character. Focus on be, uh, raising up people of character and recruiting people of character. So focus on character first and foremost. Second thing is this, build camaraderie. You're like, but that doesn't sound like it's gonna push the bottom line very well. And again, this is another one of those things that it might not make sense that first month you're there when you're looking at the bottom line, but it really makes sense um, whenever you understand that you're trying to build a culture. And we've talked a lot in the past about how to build a healthy culture. And one of the most important things you can do to build a healthy culture is to build camaraderie. You wanna have people in your organization that like each other. Um, and it's easier sometimes to work with people you don't like um, because then you don't have to worry about things getting messy. You just do your thing, they do their thing. I actually heard somebody say one time, um, I saw a t-shirt and it said, uh, I wish we could work together so we could hate the same coworkers. <laughs> it just made me laugh. Um, that's how some people think. And, and if that is our idea, then we don't understand the power of healthy culture and camaraderie. Um, I want to work with people that I uh, want to spend my life with, that I wanna share time with. And again, I know our industry is a little different, but I've told our team before, if I ever needed to hire a staff person and I didn't like their spouse, I probably wouldn't hire that person because I don't want to pull into the parking lot and see somebody's car in the parking lot and be like, oh, I'm gonna have to talk to them. Um, and that's part of us saying, hey, we're just gonna love each other. We're gonna work together. Um, and so it's important for us to know our teams, know their hearts. Um, and this is gonna sound silly, but to know their names, that's a key. Um, and depending on how big your organization is, sometimes you just don't know their names. Um, and it's hard to build camaraderie when you don't know their name. Um, I've worked in organizations where senior leadership didn't know people's names two rungs below them. And it's like, you should know their names. There aren't that many people, um, but it's really important. So when you know their names, when you call them by name, when you know things about their lives, it makes a big difference. Um, even, even here in our church, it makes a big difference when I can ask somebody about, hey, how are your grandkids doing? Um, Tracy Galley's my assistant and Tracy's awesome. And Tracy loves her grandkids. She is 
passionate about her grandkids. And, and I know it matters to Tracy whenever I ask her how she's doing. You know, we'll come in on Monday after the weekend and, hey, Tracy, how you doing? What was your weekend like? And she'll share a little bit. And I'll say, man, how's Autumn doing? And Autumn spent a little time in the hospital. She was a preemie. And so it means something to Tracy when I can ask those questions. And, and it, it takes one minute to ask that question, but there's an impact in her that she feels more connected. And it sounds manipulative to say it that way, and that's not what it's about. But it's about building camaraderie, helping her know that, hey, we value you more than we value your role on this team. We value you as a human being more than we value what you can give to this organization. Um, and when we can help people feel that way, they're gonna produce more. You're gonna have people that are selling better. You're gonna have people that are performing better when they feel like the organization cares. And the opposite of that is true too. If you wanna demonstrate Moralize some people, treat them like a number, treat them like a cog in the wheel and see how that breaks production down. So build camaraderie, um, get to know them, get to know what they love, be interested in what they're interested in. Um, I'm gonna confess this to you guys, but don't tell anybody, it's just us, nobody else is listening. I don't care that much about the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know. I realized during COVID, I don't love sports as much as I thought I did. I was like, I did okay without sports. Um, but people I love, love the Steelers. So I'm gonna keep loving the Steelers. I'm gonna pay attention to what's going on. So when people I love wanna talk about the Steelers, I can have a semi-intelligent conversation about that with them. Because um, there's some people that I love, some people on our staff that love the Steelers. All right, let's talk about the Steelers. Uh, that's okay. But be interested in what they're interested in. Um, I think one of, the, one of the things we want to do when it comes to a new role or a new team is we wanna hit the ground running and we wanna go, okay, let's, get, let, let's build this huge goal and let's, let's knock all these things out of the park. Let's go, 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 go. But sometimes that's an issue because really we need to start with relationships before we focus on the work. Um, I hate cliches like this, but cliches are cliches for a reason. Um, and I didn't know Theodore Roosevelt is one who said this, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this is true, even though I hate this statement, I can't believe I said this to you guys tonight, but it's true. People don't care how smart you are unless they feel like you are invested in them. So I would encourage you, be invested in them. Um, and I said earlier, building camaraderie is a big part of healthy culture. And for a while, leadership types would say building a healthy culture is one of the most important things you can do in your organization. And if that's one of the most important things you can do, then building camaraderie is an important key to that. So build camaraderie. Number three, over, and you can't see my notes unless you ask for them, but over, all in caps, communicate. Um, and this sounds silly, but gosh, we cannot communicate enough. We cannot talk enough, especially if we're new in a role. Um, I would over-communicate, because here's the thing, you can always back off of communication, but it's hard to ramp up communication. So if you set the tone early that, hey, we're gonna be low touch, then that's what the expectation is gonna be moving forward. But if you set the tone early, hey, we're gonna be high touch, and we're gonna meet, but we're gonna meet with a purpose, so we're not just gonna have hour and a half long meetings where we don't get anything accomplished, but hey, we might have a group meeting once a week where we have an agenda and we have things to talk through, and it's purposeful, but it's gonna be high touch. and, and I might do a couple of one-on-ones with each of the staff per week early on, and, it, and it's gonna be 10 minutes, 15 minutes maybe max, where you just, hey, what's going on? What can I help you with? What do you need? Um, 
And maybe you have a ton of high touch things early on and you can always back off that. When you see, man, our team is thriving, people are performing, they're understanding my heart, they're understanding our values, they're understanding what the goals are. You can always back off if you need to, but it's real hard to ramp up. So if you set the tone early that, hey, I'm, we're, you're gonna be autonomous, uh, you're gonna do your own thing, it's gonna be good. And then you start reeling people in a little bit going, oh man, I, I needed to communicate better. People are gonna feel like you're micromanaging at that point. And it's better to start off with lots of touches and free them later, loose them a little bit than it is to do the opposite because it feels like micromanagement at that point. Um, one of the mistakes I've made uh, is to assume that people understand something because it makes sense. Have you ever, have, have you as a leader ever had a moment with people that maybe are on your team and they do something and they're, it's idiotic what they've done. And you think, why would they think that's okay to do that? Like, why in the world would that be okay for them to do that? And then you realize, like, well, it makes sense to them. Um, and I'm not, I'm not gonna name any names. There was a situation this last week with somebody on our team, and it wasn't a cataclysmic thing, but somebody did something. And I was like, what would make them think that's okay? Why would they do that? That is clearly not something that, but it was like, well, that person thought it made sense. They thought this is okay for me to behave this way and take this action. It's like, okay, that's not their fault. It is to some degree, but that's my fault because I should have communicated up front. Hey, here's some behavior we shouldn't do. Here's some things. And so I had to own some of that. So don't assume just because it makes sense to you, it might not make sense to them at all. Um, there, was a, there was an old s song that common sense was not all that common, and that's true. So over-communicate. Even things you don't think you need to communicate, over-communicate. Here's a couple things I would over-communicate early on. Uh, goals, because goals, especially if they are new to the team or you are new leading a team, um, there might be an assumption that goals have changed or the old goals don't matter. So you either need to reaffirm the old goals, hey, we're still gonna do this, or you need to state some new goals. Hey, we're gonna shift direction a little bit. Here's some things that, that we feel like we're gonna be doing. So you need to restate uh, the goals or, or create some new goals. Goals are huge. The second thing, um, either the team or and or individual expectations. Again, this is one of those things that I think as leaders, I, I, I've been in a situation where I was following a leader who thought that I felt like, man, he doesn't communicate enough and he thinks we're mind readers. And then I've been in the other situation where I was a leader and I assumed everybody could read my mind. It was like, why don't you people know this? And it's like, oh yeah, I didn't say it out loud with my mouth. <laughs> it's like, well, I've got a great team, but what they don't have is the ability to read my mind. So I have to tell them. Um, and so... I have to tell them what the expectations are for them as an individual. Here's what I expect you to be doing. Here's what I expect the team to be doing. Um, and here's how we're gonna evaluate your progress. Here's how we're gonna figure out if this is a win or not. And this sounds like basic stuff, but we do this early on with people or we should be doing it early on with people. But then somewhere along the line, I think sometimes we just stop doing it. We go, well, they know and they've got it. But I think it's really important for us to reaffirm these things over and over. Um, one of the things I think we take for granted is how are we supposed to communicate as a team? Um, so we don't talk about what communication looks like. We just, again, assume that they'll know, oh, we talk about this. Uh, but there might be, depending on your industry, some things you talk about with certain people but not others. Uh, there might be a, a line of, uh, of command that you go, hey, you talk about these things with these people upline, but you don't talk about the, you know. So whatever that stuff is, 
don't just assume they're gonna catch it or that they're gonna know it. Um, communicate it to them. Hey, here's how we communicate. Here's what I expect you to communicate. Here's what we talk through as a team. Um, and that's huge because communication tends to be a, an issue that a lot of people um, get stuck on. And the last thing I would say among many would be uh, values. Um, this is just how do we make decisions? Because um, if you are a new leader of a team, uh, immediately people aren't concerned about the team. Um, okay, let me back up. So in some of my experience pastoring, uh, whenever I talk to families who have blended families, uh, it's interesting because uh, as a youth pastor, I would have kids in my youth ministry whose parents were getting divorced and very rarely were the kids ever concerned about what's gonna happen to dad or what's gonna happen to mom. Their first response was typically, what's gonna happen to me? What does this look like for me? How does this change me? Now, and that's warranted. I totally get that. Um, but let's fast forward to adulthood. Uh, whenever there's a new team manager, team leader, somebody new, the new boss shows up, um, typically the employees aren't going, what's gonna happen to the organization? They're asking, what's gonna happen to my role? What's gonna happen to my position? How does this impact my relationship to the boss? I was friends with the old guy. Am I gonna be friends with this guy? And so one of the things you have to do is, is communicate trust, communicate values, help them understand who you are. Um, and some of your early interactions with your teams are gonna tell them a story. Um, I, I read this, this last week, I should have written this down. There was a sociologist who said about 90% of our opinion about people are formed in our very first interaction. And those opinions are sticky. It, it takes a lot for us to change our mind after we have that initial interaction. And so it's really important for us as leaders to make sure that our values and who we are and who we wanna be, our aspirational goals as a leader are out there for our teams to see so that we are creating the right impression. So we're not battling something down the road because we created the wrong impression about who we are or what we expect or what we want. Um, and so I think that's huge for us to do that. Um, and that might take the form of um, instead of having a big corporate meeting with everybody and sharing that, it might take the form of doing some one-on-ones and just having conversations with people and letting them hear some of your story. Just helping them understand your background and your context will help them look at you differently than just you're the, you're the boss, you're the authority figure. Um, so over-communicate. Number four, I do Roman numerals and that messes me up sometimes. It was like IV, number four, that's what that is, four. Number four, this is where we get into some results things. Uh, number four is pick low-hanging fruit early on. Um, I think some people get focused on, I wanna make a big splash. And what happens is they take some big risks that they probably shouldn't early on. And what you don't want is to start with an L. You wanna start with a W. You wanna start with a win. And so I've encouraged people, in your, if you're in a new role leading a new team, find the low-hanging fruit. Find the stuff that you go, hey, this needs to change and it's not gonna be real hard to change. Let's make this change. And you build, you build uh, trust, you build credibility with people whenever you can make a change effectively. Um, when we first came here, there were a few things that were, that were um, low-hanging fruit for us that we looked at and were like, man, this is a good church, but if they would tweak this, it could 
take the church to another level. And there were a few things like that that I said, I'm not gonna change a ton of stuff early on. And that was one of the things I told the leadership when I came. They, they asked me, what is your plan for the first six months? And I said, my plan is to watch everything and just see how everything happens and what goes on. And, you know, I just wanna observe and learn the first six months. And one of the things I've told team members whenever we bring people on, uh, a lot of times one of the things I will tell them is, your first six months, all I want you to do is never eat a meal alone. I want you to eat as many meals with people in our church as you possibly can because that comes back to that building relationship thing. Um, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So build relationships with these people, get to know them and let's evaluate, let's take a look. So I don't expect a lot out of our team for the first six months because I want them to do what I did where, hey, let's evaluate, let's take a look. But there were a couple things like, um, and not to be a jerk to anybody, but like our worship on the weekend was not very strong. It was okay, but it was not strong. And so Todd Stanley was my very first pastoral hire. And I said, Todd, here's your job, fix the worship. And he was like, deal. But that was an easy win. That was low hanging fruit. It was easy for us to go, we're gonna tweak this. And we knocked it out of the park. It was a big win. All of a sudden people went, man, okay, look at how, where, where it is now. I, we can trust him, it built credibility. And so that's where I would say, figure out where that low hanging fruit is. It might be something like, the last boss, I mean, this is gonna sound petty, but it might be something like the last boss would never let anybody wear jeans. And maybe it's something as simple as saying, hey, on Friday, we're gonna wear jeans. Uh, maybe you can't in your context. Uh, maybe it's something like the boss would never let us bring coffee to, to our desks. It might be something that simple to go, okay, that's not a big deal. We're not gonna fight over that. Bring coffee to your desks. That might be the low-hanging fruit that helps build the win in your organization to build some, uh, some momentum. Um, and I would probably get to know them, as you get to know them as individuals, you're gonna figure out who really loved your la the, the last leader and who did not. And you're gonna figure out what the issues were, what, where the strengths were. And, uh, and I, would, I would work along those lines as well. Number five, uh, let them work. Once you figure out um, what your team makeup is, just let them work, give them the guidelines um, and let them get to work. Delegate more quickly than you are comfortable delegating. Um, let them work quicker than you would like. So just like I said with, um, I said earlier with communication, it's easier to, to ease off than it is to ramp up. This is the opposite. Um, I would rather start with giving too much rope than not enough rope because I can always correct it later. So if, if I give somebody the opportunity to succeed and they blow it, um, I can have a, correction, a correcting conversation with them and go, hey, let's talk about this. Man, this didn't go the way we really expected it to. And so, hey, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna come alongside you. I wanna help you. And so what you're doing is you're reeling them in, but you're, you've given them the opportunity to run. Uh, if you do it the opposite way, and there's nothing wrong with this, it's personal preference. If you do it the opposite way, again, it's gonna feel a little like micromanaging. Um, and sometimes we do that because we're trying to excuse the fact that we're control freaks and we want it done exactly the way we want it done and nobody's gonna do it as good as us. So we're, and, and that's, just, that's just a cop out because we don't trust people and we, <laughs> we're control freaks. And so I would encourage you, um, let them work. Tell them what the guidelines are, communicate well upfront what the expectations are and then cut them loose to do their job. Um, and that's gonna build morale in your team when they see, hey, my boss trusts me. They're, they're gonna let me work. And if I do something stupid, um, it's gonna build morale on the team when you correct stupidity in a healthy way. Um, and the other team is gonna see that. They're gonna go, okay, it's not a trap door is gonna open beneath me and I'm gonna you know, fall into the fire pit. Um, my boss is a safe 
person to work for. So let them work. And then the last thing, real, real simply, is this. Celebrate wins publicly and correct individuals privately. Celebrate the wins publicly. Cheer them on um, with more energy than you think you can. And when somebody needs to be corrected, correct them privately. Don't correct them publicly. Um, even if there's a few people who need to be corrected uh, in the group, don't ever correct them as a group. Correct them individually because the people that need to be corrected are not gonna realize you're talking to them if you're correcting the group. If there's eight people and three of them are giving you issues and you correct all eight of them, five of them are gonna be like, oh my gosh, I gotta fix this. And it's like, no, 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 it's those three, right? Um, so do that privately, but celebrate wins publicly. So those would be the things I would say. Um, those would be the things I would say. If you're starting a team, if you're new to a team, if you are uh, leading a revamped team, these are some things I would do early on. So I would love to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear what you have to say. If you've got questions, comments, if you disagree, I would love to hear that as well. And we will just edit that out before we put it on the podcast. So Michael's got the mic. Mike, Michael, do we have anything online? Anybody comments or questions or anything? Uh, no questions yet, no. Okay, um, we open it up to the floor. You guys have any thoughts or comments? Questions? Bob Santos. We'll get things going. So you mentioned that you won't hire somebody that you don't like. What if you are on a team where you don't have control over yeah, that? Yeah, that's a great question. What can you do to help yourself like people that you don't like? Okay, let me, let me push this back to the group um, because I've got some theories on that, but there are practitioners in the room that you work with people that you're not crazy about and you, you're trying to figure that out. So anybody in the room wanna share a thought on that? How do, you, how do you build camaraderie with somebody that you struggle to like? And I, we will keep this anonymous as well. So you have a thought? I've had that happen. I would say just trying to find common ground has been uh, what I've leaned on. You know, mm -hmm. you've, you've got things in common with everybody and anybody. So just connect with them and find out what you have in common and lean on that. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. What else? Um, so you, you mentioned um, judging character. Okay, um, I'm, I'm sorry. Ryan, let me come back to that in just a second. I don't think we've exhausted Bob's question yet. Is that okay? Okay, yeah. Because oh, oh, I assumed you were going to a different question. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Give us, just a minute to, give us just a minute to walk through this one then. Okay, Is that yeah. cool? So I'll, I'll say something about that too. Okay. So, so work, working with You're a wealth that, of knowledge. <laughs> working with people that you don't like, I mean, it, common ground is a great suggestion there. But yeah. one of the things in my previous business um, of hospitality uh, a really easy question to ask whether you're meeting somebody for the first time or you are interacting with somebody for the first time, asking the question is of where are you from? Mm -hmm. And uh, that is a question that it, chances are, even if you haven't traveled that much, if you meet somebody for the first time and ask them where they're from, yeah. you'll, you'll find that you'll be able to say, oh, yeah, I've heard maybe you read a news article or maybe you visited this area, but that's a really easy question to maybe find some common ground. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a suggestion there. So. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, you'll be our next question. But, uh, and, and that, I mean, I love what you said about common ground. A lot of times the people we struggle to get along with are the people we 
don't really know very well. And it's that, it's that first impression. Maybe they were having a bad day or maybe they're legitimately a bad person. But we've got that first impression where we're like, ugh, I don't know if I can work with this person or maybe they've done that to us. And it's hard to overcome that, but I think you're exactly right. When you start learning like, oh, okay, I got some context now. I understand that they're in a difficult situation or I understand this, you know, it makes it easier for us to extend grace to them. Um, sometimes, like I said, though, people are just hard to get along with and that just makes it hard to build the camaraderie. Um, and we've talked about this a little in the past, but it has to be reciprocated. So no matter how much I want it, if they don't want it, it's not gonna happen. So I can build it as much as they will allow it sometimes. Um, but yeah, I think, I think finding that common ground and asking those questions, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, it's hard. Um, so I was just gonna comment that I've started to realize that a lot of the things that I didn't like about people that I've worked with in the past are now things that later in practice I've started to implement myself. And so at this point, like when I have a coworker that oftentimes the friction is maybe they do things differently than me or they think yeah. the situation should be handled differently than me. Sometimes it's a good opportunity for me to look at the way I'm handling things mm -hmm. and maybe learn a little bit from the way that they're handling things. Yeah. And as much as I don't like to be told what to do or to have, you know, to have somebody else, you know, to follow in somebody else's direction. Sometimes yeah. it, it helps me see the, my own shortcomings are oftentimes like highlighted by, by the things that I don't like in other people. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, it takes humility to do that though. Like, and a lot of times when it comes to our coworkers, we go, no, we're right and they're wrong. And they're wrong because they're evil and I'm right because I'm good and right. Uh, and so sometimes it's hard to navigate that um, because lack of humility. Yeah, Todd. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that everybody here is a Christian, but I would say pray about it. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I'm not to Jesus juke everybody or over spiritualize things, but that's um, not what we do here at leadership night. We don't, uh, no, you know, ahead. Yeah. but I mean, uh, that, that can make a huge difference, yeah. especially if you start, praying for their good, right? And praying for their blessing and pray, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to hold hostility toward someone when you're actively praying for their good. Well, and I don't think just even praying for their good is, I mean, and I think that's definitely part of it, but I think praying, you know, what David prayed, like search me and know me, you know, like, hey God, if, if there's tension in this relationship, if it's my fault, show me. <laughs> and again, that stinks because he might actually show us. It's, oh, now I got to fix something. So yeah. Anything else regarding this conversation, camaraderie? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had that uh, pretty recently too. And uh, I have a small group that I work with, but in a big organization. And this person works a lot with me. And uh, I found that just... Um, I work harder towards that person's relationship than anybody else. I, mm -hmm. I try to give extra kindness. And yeah. uh, um, it, it's weird because, you know, I don't think we have a good relationship. I work really hard at it. Yet they turned around to my boss one day and said, hey, we work the best together. Keep mm -hmm. us as a team and all. So I think sometimes the people that are hardest to work with are the ones you got to work harder with. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's good. Ryan, let's come back to your question. 
So my, my question was about judging character. Yeah. Whether it's in the interview process or first time you meet somebody. Uh, Todd kind of answered my question. Uh, pray about it. Um, I had a somebody that I served with at our old church that uh, I was talking to her one day before service started, and I said, man, I'm just having so much trouble finding good people. And we, we get people on the hook, and we bring them in, and they do great for a little bit, and then they fall off the rails, and we find out, I found, you know, we missed during the interview process. And she looked at me, and she said, Ryan, are you, are you praying them in? you gotta, you got to pray them in. <laughs> so that's one great thing. Todd, thanks for that reminder. Um, but so praying good people in mm -hmm. um, and praying for them as they're working for you and um, leading them uh, leading them in a way that reflects Jesus is always a good thing. But simply, what, what suggestions do you have for, it? so you pray the men, but then during the interview process, you know, we want discernment during that, mm -hmm. but just simple ways of judging character. Because we, we can all say, oh, we're really good at judging character, you know, but you can still miss sometimes. And Absolutely. Find out that people are you know, not how they interviewed or absolutely you know, first impressions. So. I've told this story before. Um, so before I was a headhunter for one year, I worked for a minor league baseball team and I was the director of business operations and it was an independent league baseball team, which means we had no money at all. We were poor. And so we offered open tryouts, but the gimmick was you had to pay to try out for us. So it was open and anybody could pay and try out. And so we literally had guys show up in like blue jeans and their cowboy boots and you know what I mean? Like whatever. Um, and as long as they paid their money, we didn't care. And uh, I wanted to do a one day tryout. And the manager was saying, no, 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 we gotta do two day tryouts. And I just said, Curtis, if we do two day tryouts, I've gotta feed them dinner. Uh, we gotta feed them breakfast. We gotta put them up overnight. Um, this isn't gonna work financially. And he said, Mel, you gotta, you gotta do two days because anybody can fool you for a day. Um, and so I've, that's stuck with me through the years. And that's where I would come back to. If you're, if you're hiring somebody, it's a little different. But if you're hiring somebody, um, let them know early on, hey, this is gonna be a longer process. Um, I would hire slow and fire fast. And I've told people the first time you know you need to hire, fire somebody, that's when you need to fire them. Don't think about it because it's not gonna get better down the road. Their behavior's not gonna get better. Their character's not gonna get better. You know, their performance, if you've been working with them. So I would hire slow and fire fast. And most people are the opposite. We hire fast because we go, oh, I got, I got a good feeling about this person. And then they're not who we thought they were. And then it's like, oh, but I hate to fire them because they've got a family. And it's like, well, yeah, you should have thought about that when you hired them. And I've been in that position too. So hire slow, have lots of conversations, check lots of references, um, I never have a problem with that. I'm, gonna call, I'm not gonna call their references. I'm gonna call people they didn't list as their references. I'm gonna call old bosses that they didn't tell me I could call um, because they're gonna give me their ringers. They're gonna give me their aunt. They're gonna, you know. Um, so I'm gonna call people that, you know, former supervisors, whatever it is, um, because the best indicator of future performance is past performance. So if they had problems with character in the past, I mean, Jesus is redemptive. We get that. We believe that. But... If they've struggled with this in the past, they're probably gonna struggle with that in the future. Um, so that's what I would say. That's a good question though. Anybody else have a thought on that? How do we judge character? I have a different question. Lay it on me. Uh, so you talked about the 
establishing proper communication. And I'm wondering, what are the downsides of communication software like Slack and Microsoft Teams as opposed to like in-person communication? Yeah, the downside is it's wildly impersonal. It's effective. It's efficient. I'll say it that way. It's efficient, but it's terribly impersonal. And so I'm somebody that I still, I hate going to the self-checkout line. I want to go to the line with the girl and engage her and read her name tag and call her by name. And like, I want to do that. I want to talk to a human. And so even with our staff, I think most of our staff and those that are sitting in the room know, like, hey, if you don't care when I respond to you, send me a message on Teams. If you need to get in touch with me pretty quick, text me. If, if you wanna talk to me now, walk in my office. And that's the way that works. And so, I mean, that's kind of how I function. I just hate some of those personally, but I also see the necessity, especially as an organization scales and gets bigger. Uh, it's just necessary. But I just think the downside is it's wildly impersonal. Um, and the thing about any kind of, uh, any kind of messaging like that, it lacks nuance. You, you know, no matter how many emojis you use, it lacks nuance where you don't know what somebody is, what their tone is. You don't know what their body language is. But when you're sitting with somebody in a room, you can see when they say something, you can see how they respond, how they lean in, how they, you know, all that stuff. And so, yeah, I think I, I hate that stuff, but it's a necessary evil in my opinion. There's probably somebody who has a better view of that stuff than I do, so... I would open it up, let somebody else answer. Because I know some of you work in very large organizations where you do use a lot of Slack or Teams or different communication software like that. Anybody have any thoughts? Yeah, within, within my company, I mean, we're on Teams mm -hmm. a lot every day, probably a lot of days, four or five hours. And a um, couple things, I mean, you, you have to make it fun because it mm -hmm. is different. You know, you've got... I'm at home three, four days a week, and you know my team's out there mostly at home, and so you've got to, how can you get them going every day with you know something funny or yeah. you know, just something to brighten their day and get them in a good place? Um, you know, so I, I leaned on things like that, um, and then just kind of connecting on a regular basis, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's group meetings on a weekly basis. Um, but it is tough. I mean, that's the environment we're in right now, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, those are a couple things that we've done in our organization. Well, and you bring up a great point. You know, one of the things I didn't mention is so many people are remote. And so it's one thing to build teams and camaraderie and all those things with people you're in the room with, but you have to work extra hard to build camaraderie with people that aren't in the room with you. And so that's something where, you know, you, you referred to, you know, doing some fun things at the top or that that's something where maybe if you're meeting with people remotely, um, you know, Zoom or Teams or whatever the mechanism is, maybe you start with, hey, we're gonna have a 15 minute conversation, but let's take the first few minutes and just let it be personal. Hey, tell me about what's going on with you. What's the best thing that's happening in your life right now? You know, share with me some, and it's totally not work related, but that you just gotta be more intentional because if somebody's remote, they're not, you're not having the water cooler moments. You're not having the moments where you're walking to your car together after work or, you're, you know, those kind of things just don't happen. So you've got to be more intentional about that with people that are remote. So that's a great point. And that concludes our meeting tonight. The bell has rung. I'm just kidding. What else? Questions? Do we have any online questions, Michael? Are they silent? Okay, that's okay. We love you anyway. So it, I have a question about vision casting. Um, at what point in the vision casting process do you think it's safe as a leader to let low-level staff in on what you're planning to do so that they know that 
know where you're aiming at? Oh, I don't know that there's a specific rule for like, hey, these tiers know first and then these tiers. I think it depends on the people more than it does their specific roles, in, in my opinion. I, I would probably... Yeah, if it's somebody that I don't trust to, to um, guard that from people who shouldn't know it, they probably shouldn't be on our team, honestly. But I would, I would probably overshare vision rather than undershare vision with anybody in our organization. Um, unless it's time specific, like, oh, hey, we're gonna launch this, but we don't want people to know yet. Uh, but I think there's still a broader vision that you can apply there. So I don't know. That's probably what I would say. Any thoughts on that? Casting vision, sharing the vision with people in your organization and roles that should hear it or shouldn't hear it. Any thoughts? Aaron. I think, you know, unless you have Unless in like casting vision, like you said, there's something that's sensitive, like it's mm -hmm. a new product line or yeah. a new initiative, and you have to be careful with it. I, I've just found like I've been on teams where people overguard information, and there's so much dysfunction, and there's mm -hmm. so much, so many things that are broken, so many things that get done wrong. I, I've just found that like if if you don't have a kind of restraint, tell it to everybody, tell them often say it again, like, it's almost like you can't message too much, you can't communicate yeah. too much. So, um, you know, just in casting vision, like, unless, yeah, unless there's some strategic problem that, yeah. you know, you have to watch out for, go for it, like, because that's when you're going to get, you're going to get feedback, you're going to get conversations, you're going to get dialogue going, um, you're going to get momentum if, yeah. you, if you do share. Well, and the more people are involved in crafting that and building that and speaking into it, the more ownership there is too. And and even with some of the things that are um, maybe sensitive, um, that, that the public might deem sensitive, there's been some things that I've overshared with our church, like publicly, that um, it, well, it wasn't strategic or manipulative, but it was like, okay, normally a church might not say this, but we're gonna say this. Like, we're gonna share, this is what's going on because that builds trust. Like when you're honest about stuff that you don't have to be honest about, you know, the, I think it does build trust with, um, so in your context, like clients or consumers or, you know, um, but even with, within your organization, I think it builds trust when somebody feels like, yeah, you're on the inside. You, we, we trust you with this information. I think it, it helps. Good question. What else? I think this might be a tricky one. Um, how do you administer private correction without fostering a culture of gossip? So I think about like if someone gets called back to an office mm -hmm. and they get corrected and people can only see that they got called back and everyone kind of knows what that means, but they don't know what happened. Yeah. How would you be private about those things without uh, and still preserve the organization against gossip? I think one of the first things is if the only reason somebody's coming to your office is to be corrected, that's probably an issue, right? Like if everybody knows, oh, they just got called into Mel's office, they're gonna get it. Like that's, that's a problem. Um, and so that's where it's important for us to be building relationships beyond just correcting bad behavior. Um, and I think part of that is just, 
setting the standard up front. And that's where, the, you know, the character stuff that we talked about in the camaraderie is really important because it's like everybody's going to do something stupid sometimes. I don't think there's a single staff person we have, including me, that hasn't been corrected. Um, we all do because we're all idiots sometimes. So, um, so that's part of it. So I think normalizing, correcting the, uh, conversations and just going, this is going to happen. Um, you know, Colin McKnight is our, um, he's our campus pastor for Blairsville. And I've known Colin longer than anybody on our team except my wife, okay? I've known Colin since I think he was 15. Um, and so I've had this relationship with him that I was his youth pastor and now I'm his pastor. And when we were talking about bringing him on, I, I told him, I said, hey man, I want you to know something. Um, and I think I talked to him when they came up to interview. I just said, if you move here, it's not going to look like this. We're not going to hang out every day. I'm not going to go to every meal with you like we are during the interview stuff. And I said, there's going to be some times I'm going to, I'm, I'm don't want to be crass by saying this. I'm going to kick your rear. I'm going to kick your butt sometimes. And if you need it, I'm going to chew you out. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to love you and we're going to be okay. And like, but I wanted to set the expectations. Like I'm going to correct you, but that's just part of what we do. Like we want to get better. And so I think making those conversations normal and not, not just calling them to your office when you're, you know, calling them to the, um, to the, um, well, my granny, my, my dad's mom, uh, when I would stay with her in the summers and I would get in trouble, she had this willow tree and she would say, okay, oh, go, go pick your switch. Like when I, did, and so literally I'd go pick my switch off the willow tree and she would whoop me with it. She would pick the leaves off and then whap, whap, whap. And, uh, and you knew if, if any of the cousins were going to the willow tree, they were getting whooped. And so you don't want your office to be the willow tree, right? So, <laughs> and there's a difference between a, a spanking and a whipping and a whooping. And uh, Granny would give me whoopings. I did have a cousin that she would not ever spank, and I'm only moderately bitter about that. Yeah, Bob. So a friend was telling me recently that he has a problem with micromanaging the people under him. Really? What advice do you have? Okay, first of all, that's phenomenal because most of the time micromanagers don't know they're micromanagers. Um, did he use the word micromanage? Yes. Wow. He even said that he was a bit of a control freak. Man. I'm either impressed or I'm terrified of that guy. He's a really great guy. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Um, usually if somebody's a micromanager, it's because they're a control freak, because they've been burned at some point, because, I mean, typically in my experience. And so I think if somebody recognizes, okay, I'm a control freak and I'm a micromanager, um, there's not an easy way to do it. I would just say you got to rip the Band-Aid off. You just got to go, okay, I'm going to trust with some small things and figure out what your, what your margin of error is. I think that's a key because I think they think I can't release it because I want it to be 100% the way I would do it. And so I think understanding what your margin of error is on it, like the acceptable margin is, I think that's huge because if you can go, okay, if it's 60% the way I would do it, I'll be okay with that. Then knowing that ahead of time and going, okay, it's 65%, perfect. Uh, but the problem is our expectations are off and we go, well, they're not gonna do it exactly the way we do. It's like, no human will, all right? Like, I don't even meet my own standards most of the time. So how in the world is anybody else? So I think that's probably huge is just adjusting your ex expectation level for what it's gonna look like. I don't know. That's a hard one though. Todd. Well, I just... In, in response to that as well, yeah. I would say ask him to identify what he's afraid of because it, micromanaging in that way is always typically motivated by some kind of fear. Either I think if they fail, that's going to be a reflection on me or yeah, I think, 
you know, there's, there's typically some kind of fear that's associated with that. So if you can get him to identify what that fear is and then understand the irrational nature of that, then even though it doesn't get a whole lot easier to trust, you, you find a way to kind of overcome that because you can begin to discover, okay, it's, the world's not going to cave in if I take my hands off of this for a while. Yeah, that's good. I like that one. I want to amend my answer. That was what I should have said. I would have said that instead. Good answer, Todd. Just out of curiosity, anybody in the room, is there anybody in the room you would identify yourself? I'm not going to tell your teams below you, but would anybody in the room identify yourself as a micromanager or control freak a little bit? Okay, that's okay. Some of you are like, (laughs) can you be a control freak at home but not at work? Yeah, I think you can. Some people are control freaks at work, but not at home. So, uh, yeah, I get that. (laughs) That's funny. He's calling you the control freak, but he's the one who raised your hand. So he was controlling you. What does that say? That's funny. We got a few more minutes. Uh, Any other questions or comments? Yeah, Steve. Yeah, as a new leader, um, how much time would you advise between building relationships, trust, versus starting the correction process? Uh, I would, they would be seamless together, honestly. Um, I mean, I wouldn't wait to correct. I would just make sure my correction is measured correctly. Um, so I wouldn't, I think some bosses feel like it's kind of like a (laughs) crude illustration. Have you ever seen like a prison movie and they're like, okay, first day in the joint, you go find the biggest guy and punch him in the nose, right? Like you're trying to set a your, your street cred. And I think some bosses feel that way. Like, okay, I'm going to go throw my weight around to show everybody who's boss. But I think, I think, man, early on, I wouldn't be afraid to correct. Um, as long as you've been communicating well, and as long as you're doing it in the right way, uh, and your motivation is right behind it, I wouldn't wait to correct. Like, okay, well, I've got to wait 30 days to start correcting people. I, I would do it pretty quick, honestly. Um, because what you allow is going to get set. So if it's like, well, I don't like this, but I don't feel right about saying anything about it yet. Well, they're establishing behaviors and patterns and rhythms, and now you're going to have to correct it. And at some point they're going to be like, well, why didn't you say something about this before? So that would be what I would default to probably. But I would, I, I think you have to make time to lead. And part of leadership is being with people. And our staff knows like, they're going to interrupt me and I'm okay with that because there's very little I'm doing that's more important than helping them and supporting them and helping them feel valued and loved and all those kind of things. So like I build that into my day. I just know I'm not going to get as much done as I want because I'm going to have interruptions, but they're the best kind of interruptions. Does that make sense? So if you're not mar- putting margin in your schedule for some of that, you're, you're going to be frustrated because you're like, man, I've got this list of stuff to do. I can't get done because I've got interruptions and I've got people wanting to talk to me. And, and so I think you've got to build some of that in. And, uh, and I would correct early on. I wouldn't wait. Thank you. Yeah, good question. <laughs> and I'm wired differently too. We need to do one of these. Um, on, would, would you guys be interested? I know Christy Paterka's answer. Would you guys be interested in doing uh, a talk maybe one night on um, Enneagram. Has any of you guys done the Enneagram? 
a couple of you, me and Todd and Christy would be very interested in doing the Enneagram. Uh, it's just a personality profile. And we've talk, talked about doing something like that. We might at some point. So I'm an Enneagram eight and it's called the challenger. And that means that I lean into uh, conflict. And I don't mind it. That conflict is a means to an end basically. So when it comes to hard conversations, when it comes to corrective conversations, I don't mind those. Cause it's like, Hey, this is good. This is helpful. Um, so everybody's wired differently though. So that was a long answer to that. A couple more minutes. Anybody else? Good questions. It took you guys long enough. <laughs> I know. Usually, usually you're further back. That's cool though. Okay. So if you don't hire slow, or mm-hmm. if you, if you, yeah, you don't hire slow and you didn't, hire, you didn't fire them fast and that person's been with you for two years now and does barely enough to not get fired, but you know, well enough but has um, some character issues. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you said you can't teach character. Can you foster it, or are you better off just cutting your losses? You're probably better off cutting your losses. You asked that question, but you knew, like, you've thought, I yeah, need to fire this person before, thing. haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, so I would, I mean, I answered your question already. The second, honestly, every person uh, in this organization, my last, that we've ever had to terminate, or I wish we would have, um, I knew there was a day that I was like, we need to fire them. And for whatever reason, there were some character issues, performance, whatever, and we didn't, I always regretted it later. Always, without, without a doubt, without a fail. And so that's where I'd say, yeah, the, if you know you need to do it, uh, the, the chances are the other people on your team know you need to do it, and every day you don't do it, it erodes your credibility. Um, for us as a church, it becomes a stewardship issue because I'm going to have to face God someday and I'm going to have to face God. And he's going to say, uh, how come you didn't correct this? And we kept spending money on this person this whole time, just cause you didn't want to have a hard conversation. And that like reframed some things for me personally. So in your context though, I would say, um, your team sees it. So if you're not dealing with an underperforming bad character, employee or staff member, they see it and they know it. They're not dumb. And so that's, that's hurting you. It's hurting your team. So yeah, that's an easy answer from the cheap seats for me to say, go fire them. But, but that's honestly what I would do if I was in your position. Well, I guess if it's, it's maybe a little personal here, but like we've been trying to replace this person for two years. Okay. And, and now the COVID labor market, the way it's been. Oh yeah. It's, it's insane. Even harder. So, yeah. you know, is that something I just get rid of them, put my faith in God, pray about it. <laughs> so, it so here's the thing. I am, I'm a, and it, this isn't a, this isn't a law. This is, to me, this is a principle. I would rather have, I would rather have no person in a leadership position than a bad person in a leadership position. Cause a bad person is going to do more damage to your organization than not having anybody in that position will, in my opinion. Now, again, every industry is different. And so depending on what the role is, you might be like, hey, uh, it's an ER doc. And if we don't have an ER doc, people will literally die. And it's like, well, in that position, maybe you're better with somebody with bad character. But I think generally speaking, I would rather have nobody in a role, like a blank spot on the org chart than a bad person. That's just me. Anybody push back on that? And I'm, I'm happy to entertain the dialogue there. Anybody think that feedback is incomplete or wrong or I'm not afraid of you saying I'm wrong. I'm okay with that, I promise. And it stinks because they're humans and they got families and they got kids and they've got retirements and they've got all the stuff, but you're not responsible for that. You're responsible for your organization and that stinks, but 
That's the way that is. We can't end on that. That's a bummer. <laughs> okay, good. We got something else. And if you want to talk afterwards, we can talk more about that too. Yeah. I don't even know how to say this. Um, so I have worked with my group of people for the last eight years. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you, you worked with what people? The people at my work. Okay. My coworkers. Yeah. I was their supervisor. We all worked night shift. I have recently got promoted and I'm working day shift now. And I'm over day shift and night shift. Night shift no longer has a supervisor. We need to find one. So now I'm there for everybody. And night shift is starting to act out against me because I'm not. Yeah, you're not the boss. Well, and you were their coworker, and now you're not the coworker, and yes. yeah. And while we're trying to decide what we can, I mean, some of them are threatening to leave because they know we can't hire anybody else because nobody wants to work. I'm losing people. I'm down to four people. I should have six. Mm. Um, should I work half day shift, half night shift? I don't want to let my day oh. shift job go. Um, gosh, that's a very specific question. Um, okay, so uh, I'm, I'm open. Uh, let me think about that for a second. Anybody have feedback on that? Any thoughts? Yeah, Bob. I don't know that half and half would work, but it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to spend at least like one day a week or something working with them because... I mean, that's just the nature of things. Things are going to go to disorder when there isn't the attention given to them. Yeah. Um, in your organization, is day shift what people aspire for? People just do night shift until they get to day shift? People on night shift don't want to work day shift. Okay. It's like two companies. Yes. Yeah, I think Bob's right. I think I would probably give one day a week to the night shift or something. I don't know if I'd split the shift and go half and half necessarily, but I think that's something that's got to get more attention. You've got to be more hands-on in the short term at least because I think that might be some of the problem is the morale and, oh, well, you're too good for us because you're not around. Oh, yeah. Are any of them them, uh, promotable? Are any of them good enough? Okay. We're not going to let them see this. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be hard too. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah, I think in the interim probably it would be spend some times with some nights with a night shift, hang out with them, you know. And maybe it's if that's the shift you're concerned about, maybe you do some extra things for them. You bring them some donuts. You you know do some things for them. And you just go, man, I appreciate you guys. And thanks for what you do. We see it. We acknowledge it. It's hard. I mean, sometimes even something like that goes a long way with people just saying, we see how hard you guys are working. We know you're doing more work than you're supposed to. And man, I promise we're working as hard as we can to find the right people, you know. And maybe in their interim between now and the time you find somebody for that shift, you start working on like some team building things. Like he was saying like, hey, let's just get to know each other better. Let's build the camaraderie. Let's, you know, I don't know. But I think, yeah, night shift once a week, that's not unreasonable. And that stinks for your schedule, but yeah. Yeah. It is. So 
Um, not that he's a master on it. There's a, Steve, raise your hand for me if you don't mind. That guy right there, he's in a similar position where he was promoted and now he's leading who were his peers and there's challenges there. And if, if you're interested, you guys can compare notes a little bit. Um, but that's not easy. It's hard to do. And uh, it's not, there's not a set playbook. So, hey, listen, we went two minutes past our time. I'm gonna pray and close this out and dismiss those of you that are watching online. Thanks for joining us for Leadership Night. I'm gonna stick around. We can talk a little bit more. If you guys wanna be finished when we're done, uh, feel free to be dismissed. God, thanks for this night. Thanks for this group of people. Lord, I thank you that, they took a big step by just uh, showing up this evening or watching or listening to this because they wanna grow their leadership. And so God, I pray that you would let some of the seeds that were spread find good soil and I pray that it would produce good fruit in their lives, God. I pray that their leadership would grow, their impact would grow and you'd be glorified because of some of the things we talked about tonight. So God, have your way with us. Be glorified through us in your name, amen.